The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Well, we pick up our story this morning on Joseph as he has just been thrown into the pit by his brothers. And we pick it up in Genesis 37, verse 25. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, myrrh, and on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let, us, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. The Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and he returned to his brothers and he said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped it in blood, and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. Notice they called him your son, not our brother. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his garment and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, no, I shall go to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now to understand these verses, we, meet, we need to first understand the despairing begging cries of Joseph. Verse 24 says that the brothers took Joseph and threw him into a pit. And then verse 25 says, then they sat down to eat. There's nothing said in Genesis 37 about Joseph crying. And so we might be quick to think, well, he's a man of God. He's trusting God. He's probably just waiting on God. But further examination reveals the truth. In fact, we have to go ahead to Genesis 24 to find it. The brothers are once again under strong conviction. They have to go to Egypt for grain. The famine has begun and they're convicted about what's happened. And they said in Genesis 42 verse 21, then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. So you begin to realize that when Joseph was thrown into the pit, he probably went in screaming, begging him not to do it. But to make matters worse and to show the callousness of their heart, verse 20 says, they sat down to eat a meal. Probably within earshot of Joseph's screams. But you know, I find this profoundly moving and rich in comfort for those who, like Joseph, may be suffering injustice and indifference. 
those who may be going through a trial, a tragedy, a difficult time and not knowing what's going on. Have you experienced human cruelty? Does no one seem to care that you're hurting, that you're suffering? Are others, perhaps those that are close to you, indifferent to what you're going through and you feel alone? I want you to take hope this morning and identify with Joseph in what he learned. Through this and other times of suffering, Joseph learned to commit his way to the Lord who hears the cries of his people and rescues and restores at his perfect time. We have to beg the question though, who cares? Who really cares? The worst thing about being in trouble as Joseph was is to find that that no one really cares, which is usually the case in this sinful world. When you are at the top of the pyramid and everything is going great, most people do care. And that's why the rich are flattered and the famous are sought after. But let something bad happen or let some sort of financial reversal happen or begin to lose your looks and your good, good ways and people begin to pass by on the other side of the street. The world is notorious for indifference. You may remember an article, article in the New York Times, oh, years and years ago now, but it was about a woman who was being murdered in the street in New York, and more than 30 people in apartments around it witnessed the whole thing and never did anything to help, never even called the police. And the article was about the indifference of people. The world is notorious for its indifference. But what about the indifference of Christians? A spouse who is indifferent to the other's frustrations and bruised feelings. Or the parents who can't hear the cry of a child. Or a neighbor who refuses to get involved in the next door struggle when they're crying for help. I want to encourage you and any of you who are going through struggles in any way. But it is a message that cuts both ways. It's a message for those who are suffering, but it's also a message for those who are insensitive to what others are enduring, particularly if you're contributing to the problem, as often is the case. I think of the effect of, the effect of this on the brothers. I think of this building up on the brothers. F.B. Meyer writes, quote, year passed after year, but the years could not obliterate from their memories that look, those cries. They tried to look up the, to lock, excuse me, lock up the skeletons in their most sacred cupboard, but it contrived to come forth and confront them, even in their guarded hours. The old father who mourned for his son as dead was happier than they who knew he was alive. There are some who teach that God is too merciful to punish men, yet he has so made the world that sin is its own nemesis. Sin carries with it the seed of its own punishment. And the men who carry with them the sense of unforgiven sin will be the first to believe in a vulture forever tearing out vitals, a worm that never dies, and fire that is never quenched. End of quote. To make matters worse, 
they were not only eating a meal while Joseph cried, but a careful reading suggests that they may have been something even crueler. Although the brothers were indifferent towards Joseph's plight, they may have been mocking him to add insult to the injury they were giving him. Now, I know the text doesn't specifically say this, just as it doesn't say at this point that Joseph cried out. But remember what the brothers said as Joseph was approaching in verse 20. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we'll see what will become of his dreams. This tells us what was on their hearts and on their lips as Joseph approached. I can imagine Joseph crying out, why are you doing this? What are you doing? Why? As they stripped the coat from him and threw him in the pit. They must have answered Joseph, so you think you're better than we are, do you? You think you're going to rule over us, that we're going to bow down to you? We'll see who bows down to who. What did your dreams tell you now, daddy's pet? And if you're so holy, why don't you call God to come down and rescue you? This makes sense when you realize what was said to Jesus as he hung on the cross. And remember that Joseph is a type of Christ. You recall in Matthew 27, as Jesus is hanging there, verse 39, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him saying, he saves others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. The point is this. <clears throat> there were no doubt angry accusations from the brothers and scared screaming cries from a 17-year-old man. Have you ever experienced fear from someone? Or maybe not from safety, but fear for the potential results of what the situation is going to cause? Have you ever been in a situation where you just couldn't see God in it and couldn't figure out what was happening? You'll also observe the hypocrisy of the brothers in thinking of themselves as fairly decent fellows. Notice the comments of Judah, who was probably the most disreputable character of the bunch, which we'll see in coming weeks. He was probably the ringleader. And when he saw the Midianites approaching, he thought, ah, he can make some fast coin here. And so he immediately hatched a plan. And verse 26 says, then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And the brothers listened to him. I mean, I can just hear him saying, look, I know we want to kill this punk, but why? We can make money off him. Let's just sell him. And they all agreed. Did God grieve for Joseph? Did, does God 
grieve for you. Where is God in all of this? Are you in a pit this morning? Are you in a pit and you just don't know why? In spite of all the negativity around us and the constant strife we see in the world, I want you to see the comfort and knowledge of God and the way he gives in these situations. Who grieved for Joseph? Certainly not his brothers and definitely not the Midianites. The only person who grieved was his father. And as we saw in verse 34 and 35, then Jacob tore his garment and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I will go down to Sheol to my son mourning. And his father wept for him. I want you to understand that you have such a father but he's your heavenly father. And he grieves and cares desperately for you far more than Joseph's father cared for him. How do we know this? How do I really know that in the midst of all the trial and all the confusion and the loneliness and the despair and the situation, how do I really know God is in this? I'm sure you've asked yourself the question. I know in my lifetime, there's been a fair amount of times I've asked it. Why do we know God loves us? Well, in this story, first thing we want to know, God does care. In the story, care and grief, the grief that Jacob goes through is contrasted with the cruelty of the brothers. And in a similar way, the care God of God for you and I is contrasted with the indifferent world around us. <clears throat> you know, the Greeks were unwilling to believe this of God. In their philosophy and understanding, God had to be unmovable. They argued that if God could be moved by any human situation, no matter how tragic, then to that extent, we who live through such tragedies would have power over him. And they couldn't accept that. But that's not what's taught in the Bible. In fact, we're reminded very quickly in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, when we're told Jesus wept for unbelieving Jerusalem. Colossians tells us that he is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. By him, all things were made. By him, all things consist. He hung the stars in the moon, in the sun. He hung earth. He created everything on it. And that very same God wept for unbelieving Jerusalem. When we go through difficult times, not knowing why they have come or why God permitted them, we're tempted to believe that God really doesn't care, that he kind of just wound things up and let us go and whatever happens, happens. But I want you to consider a few verses. In Matthew 6, verse 26, it says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value 
than they? Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So he establishes very clearly, God is the God who meets the needs of his children. He is the God who comes alongside and cares, but not only material, physical needs. He also meets the needs of your heart, your struggles, your fears, your frustrations, your anxieties. In fact, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Anxieties, all your unbelief, all your fear, all your concern about tomorrow and where this whole thing is going. He says, cast them on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Do you suppose Joseph had some anxieties? Well, we know he did by looking at Genesis 42. And we can hear him crying out, why, why, why? As he's thrown into the pit. Let me give you a key this morning. And I want you to write this down because it's the key to this whole message. And here's what it is. God will not protect you from what he will perfect us through. God will not protect you from what he will perfect you through. You see, as sinners, we just don't get this idea of surrender. It goes against our human depraved hearts. And so God will do what's necessary because in surrender is where we find perfect peace and fulfillment. But in our human depravity, we just can't see it because our entire lives are geared around being safe, being happy, being free from trials. I've spoken to people who avoid coming to church because they're afraid they're going to hear something that's going to cause trouble. That, that's, that's a legitimate reason because they're afraid it's going to take them out of their comfort zone and put them into what God wants. Many people are fearful and negative because it's become like a warm blanket. It's easier to be afraid and know what it is than to see God do something in your life and not know what's coming. Are you willing to be perfected? Are you willing to be made into the image of God? Now, lest you think this is just my personal philosophy, I want the word of God to spell this out to you as clearly as I can. You may uh, remember the story in John chapter 9 where Jesus and his disciples are walking and they come upon a blind man. And the disciples said to him, Jesus, who caused this blindness? Was it the blind man's sin or his parents' sin? You see, back then, under the law, they figured any problem with anybody was a result of sin. But listen to what Jesus says to them in verse 3. Jesus says, Neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. 
Okay, wait a minute. So you're telling me that from the time this man is born, he could never see his parents. He never saw a sunrise or a sunset. He never saw the birds that he heard chirping. He never saw the beautiful Galilean sea. You're telling me that all that was kept of him so that the works of God could be seen in him? Yes. Because this man glorified God. And what do we say week in and week out, almost like a broken record? We were created for God's glory. It's not about us. And if God could use you through a situation like that to bring tremendous glory to God, would you be willing to do it? Let me take it a little farther. The story of Lazarus. You know the story of Lazarus. He was sick. They sent word to Jesus. Jesus didn't come. Jesus actually let Lazarus die. And after he heard he died, he went back. And you know the story, Mary and Martha. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And they were exactly right. Because nobody dies in Jesus' presence. But Jesus let him die. John 11, verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he, that, heard that he said, This sickness is not under death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I'm here to tell you, whatever you're going through this morning, it can be for the glory of God, even though you can't see it. Can you accept that God is working in and through your situation for his glory? Because all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I know it's hard for us to grasp that my situations can be used by God. But listen, God is just as involved in your life today as he was in Joseph's. God's plan for your life is just as real as it was for Joseph. You may not become prime minister or free people from hunger, but what God has planned in your life will bring glory to him. That's the life that's promised to all of us who will simply trust him and give it over to him. And that is the glory that all of us have the ability to partake of if we'll let go and let God do in our lives what he wants to do. Number two, God comforts in sorrow. Even when others speak cruel words and mock our misfortune. We know that David suffered periods of great abuse when former friends and even family turned against him. In fact, you know that Absalom, his own son, tried to dethrone him. And somewhere during all these struggles and frustrations, he wrote the 23rd Psalm. And verse 4 really resonates here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Walking through death 
walking through your trial, walking through your difficult situation, walking through that bondage, that fear, their anxiety. You can fear no evil. Why? For you're with me. He's not just with you when things are good. He's with you in the thick of it. And the beauty is your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When you surrender, God becomes your rod of protection and your staff to lead you. And they will comfort you. I mean, think about this for a minute. When Joseph is thrown in the pit, he has absolutely no idea that it would lead to him interpreting a dream of a cupbearer, which would eventually put him in touch with Pharaoh, where he would interpret Pharaoh's dream and be elevated to the second highest position in the greatest country at that time in the world. He didn't know that laying in a pit. He didn't even know that when he was a slave. And he definitely didn't know it when he was thrown in prison. He probably figured, this is it. When he got out of the pit, I'm a slave for life. Whoopee. Praise God. Isn't that the way you and I think? Isn't that the way you and I think in the midst of difficulty? Like, oh, here's my life. We don't see the end of the story. But when you follow Christ, there is an end to the story. <clears throat> and there is a glory that far outweighs everything you're going through. You see, his glory, Joseph's total glory, was in obeying God. No matter what. We find our contentment and peace in obeying God. <clears throat> when we look at the whole story, it's easy, easy for us to look at it because we already know the outcome. It's just like Job. You might be tempted to say, you know, I'd gladly go through everything Job went through if I could get double everything at the end. Well, let me ask you that after the first set of boils. Oh, we don't know the future. But here's what we do know. And it's not this preacher talking. It's this book. When you surrender to him, his will is done. Is there anything better in life than to know that we're walking with the Lord? And number three, he preserves and saves us in his proper time. He does this effectively. Reuben wanted to save Joseph, but his plan misfired. He was not ready with the right actions at the right time. But that's not the case with God. His actions are always right actions, and they always come at precisely the right time. And he did it for Joseph. He'll do it for you. I'm reminded of 2 Timothy 3.16, talking about Scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. <clears throat> and do you know that's exactly why Joseph is recorded for you and I. So you and I can look at this man and we can see what God did all through his life and be absolutely certain 
that he'll do it for us. No question. No question. He'll do it for us. At the right moment, God caused the Midianite merchants to pass by. At the right moment, he saw that Joseph was sold to Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. At the right moment, God caused Joseph to be sent to prison where he could interpret the dreams of Pharaoh's chief cupbearer. And at the right time, God lifted Joseph to the pinnacle of power in Egypt. Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. He hasn't forsaken us. But he's not protecting you from what he can perfect you through. You're part of an almighty plan. The Bible tells us that before the world, we were ordained to walk in good works. Set up ahead of time. Just waiting for you and I to seize the life. Psalm 91, 14, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Do you know Christ this morning? I mean, do you really know him? Is he your life? Is he the very fiber of your existence? Is he what gets you up in the morning? and helps you sleep at night when the world around you is in chaos? Are you trusting him as your savior? God has not forgotten you. God has a plan for you. And I love Psalm 138 verse eight, as the King James puts it, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Wherever you are this morning in your life, God's going to perfect it. But he's going to perfect it his way. And he's going to perfect it in such a way that your life will bring glory to him. And wouldn't it be nice to know that in your life, you will eventually, if you're not now, glorify God? That's the beauty we have. That's the glory we have. Your situation, it may be difficult. Your situation may be unfair. You may be the recipient of something that's just simply not fair. <clears throat> but if God allowed it, he is perfecting you to a greater calling. Are we willing to bow our knee to Jesus Christ and say, as Christ said to his own father, not my will, but yours be done. Paul was great for saying, hey, I've learned how to be content in much and in little because it's about Christ. Are we willing to snatch the life he's promising us in walk in the spirit of Almighty God. And Father, we thank you this morning for this particular portion of Joseph. 
Lord, there's, it's just so hard for us at times when we're struggling with things we're going through to actually believe that you're in them. We could have made vile mistakes. The brothers made hideous mistakes. But at the end of the story, they found forgiveness. It doesn't matter, Lord, who we are, what we've done, what's come upon us. You have promised to rescue us when we cast our cares on you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you as Savior, that today they would come to the end and know that their own futile attempts are worthless. But only because of what you did on Calvary can they be certain of eternal life. And I pray for Christians, Lord, who may be struggling even with indifference themselves. I pray that you would cleanse and wash our hearts and fill us with your spirit that that we can mount up with wings, that we can walk with you and never fear knowing that you are with me and that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. To God be the glory this morning and what he is going to do in the hearts of every one of us. In Christ's precious name, amen. God bless.